Genesis 46. Lord, we ask tonight you would open your word to us to behold wondrous things from it, that we'd know your heart, your mind, to walk in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we've been looking at the life of Joseph, one of the things that's written about, preached about, is Joseph is such an example and a picture of Jesus. Probably one of the chief ways is his overwhelming heart of forgiveness. And then on top of that, a kindness and a, and a mercy and a grace that's just, just amazing. We see that in Joseph. We see that in David, a man after God's own heart. Uh, and we, we see this so clearly in Jesus. And of course, that, that story of the uh, prodigal son is just so clear when we look at the father and his overwhelming acceptance and receiving and, and all that the son thought he had lost permanently. He'd just be a slave in his father's house forever wasn't lost. There's the ring. There's the robe. My son who was lost is now found all restored back to him. And Joseph, you, you could have thought, you know, at 17, man, he's just sort of stirring on it and churning on it. I can't believe they were going to kill me. I almost got killed, but they made me a slave. I don't know which is worse, you know, but, you know, things are not as bad as they could be as a slave because I'm sort of a top slave. And then he got, you know, I'm in prison. And so now his brother showed up. He, he could have just like, ugh. I hoped I'd never see you again, but now that I see you, I was a slave. You made me one. And let me tell you, I went to prison because of you. And it was humiliating. I went into this sex crime unit <laughs> that I raped this lady. And it wasn't just being a prisoner, it was being a rapist in prison. And, and then I was stuck in there and people lied to me and you didn't help me. And, and, you know, in spite of you bunch of evil brothers, you know, God's blessed me anyway. And here I am, I'm blessed, but I haven't forgotten. I mean, that's just 99% of the people would have at least wrestled with this. You know what I mean? But we, we see in chapter 45, once again, in verse 5, when he sees his brothers, he's weeping and hugging them and kissing them. And, and he is just so desiresome that they wouldn't feel guilty and carry this burden any longer of what they've done. And, and he, said, he said to them, don't be grieved, don't be angry with yourself because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to uh, preserve life. This, this whole thing, it, it, you know what? Yes, you did it, but it was so little you, so much God. Let's just all see God's sovereign act in all of this. God, God, is, God was in this. And, and he says again in verse 7 and 8, he says it two more times in Genesis 45. God sent me before you to preserve in posterity for you in the earth to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was, listen, not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. You see, Joseph didn't get bitter because he kept his eyes on the sovereign plan of God. 
Every time he would struggle, he's like, one day my brother's going to be those sheaves. Remember the dream he had? They're going to be bowing down to me. And then he had another dream. The sun and the moon are going to bow down. And, and of course, Jacob's like, you're talking about me now? I'm going to be bowing? Well, was it? Because his mother was already dead. So how could mom be bowing down? She's dead. So what is the moon? What's the sun? Well, we discover now he's even above the most powerful people in the world, way above his dad. He's next in line to Pharaoh himself. And as he's going to sing in a minute, it's like he's the father to Pharaoh. He's really the guy completely with all the power, not usurping the authority, but even has more power in running things than Pharaoh himself. And so he's just like, guys, don't be grieved, don't be angry. It's God, but God, I knew it, but God. God's in this, and this is, we see his heart when Potiphar's wife tried to grab him into her bed. And he's like, how can I sin against God? He, he didn't have a bitter heart going, well, God forget God about me. I'll forget about God's law. God doesn't care about me. I'll just eat and drink and be merry because uh, I'm a slave. Tomorrow I die. You know, forget God. God's not, a, God's not helping me anymore. He didn't have that heart. He had total faith, even at the lowest of lowest points. And so they've told Jacob now, Joseph is alive. And, and Jacob is, is beginning to head towards Egypt. He probably started at Hebron. But we find tonight in verse 1, So Israel, make note of that, took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba. Beersheba is the border. It's the last holdout place before he would cross over out of the land of promise, out of the land of promise, heading into the land of Egypt. Beersheba was a place where God met powerfully Abraham. He actually planted a tamarisk tree there, and God spoke to him. And then Isaac later built an altar there. God powerfully spoke to Isaac there. It, it was one of their main places as they wandered around the promised land where God met him. And now God's powerfully meeting Jacob there. But he's hesitating. And he offered sacrifices, plural, to God of his father, Isaac. This, this is an interesting thing. Because it says Israel did this. So remember Jacob's name had been changed to Israel. From the hill catcher, the sneaky guy, to the one governed by God. So at this moment, Israel, this guy governed by God, is, is going, it's just, this doesn't seem right. I, I remember back in the story my dad told me about Abraham, my grandpa, when he first came into the promised land and there was a famine, like there's a famine now. And he grabbed things up and ran down to Egypt and oh what a mess Ishmael came from you know the servant girl he got there and it was just oh Egypt oh going back to Egypt no Egypt is not a healthy place 
to be separate people, segregated and, and, and healthy and spiritually and, and worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob in the midst of all those pagans and idols. And it's a, it's a culture of perversity that didn't do good in the past. I mean, historically, my forefathers should have never went there. And, and so this looks so similar now. Famine in the land, heading down to Egypt, Pause. God, is, is this you? See, here's the difference, guys, between faith and the sin of presumption. When God is saying it, it's faith. Jump out of the boat. Walk on water. That's faith because God commanded it. If you say, well, I think I'll jump out of the boat and see if I can walk on water. That's presumption. When God told Abraham to go to the promised land and wander around and wherever he put his foot, that would be his inheritance. God spoke it. He, he responded in faith to it. And when we are acting in faith in God's command, that pleases the Lord. But when we are saying, well, I believe God's going to do this. If I do this, then he's going to do this. And it, it, that's presumption. And that's an ugly sin. And so... When Abraham went to Egypt, it was presumption. It was not in faith. But now the only reason Israel, Jacob, is even considering this is because his son, Joseph, he thought he was dead, is saying, come on down here. Okay, I, I, I got that. But God, I need to stop here a moment and ask the question, is this for sure you? And he begins to sacrifice. And it's in the plural form. In these days, they had three kinds of sacrifice. The sin sacrifice for forgiveness of sins. The burnt sacrifice, which was dedication. I dedicate myself anew and afresh and maybe even a deeper way. And then there's the peace sacrifice. This is the fellowship sacrifice. As we're going through Exodus and Leviticus, we'll, we'll look at these because it's powerful because it needs to be our worship as well. When we come to worship God, it needs to be a sacrifice. When we look through the history of Israel, when they try to make serving God easy for themselves. And God just says, I don't accept it. We end the Old Testament in Malachi where they didn't want to go to the temple. It was too far and uphill and they didn't want to have to wait in the lines. They didn't want to have to bring the best animal to sacrifice and they were, they, everything was a burden to them. And God said, I, I don't accept this. Don't, you don't need to give anything. Don't give any more tithes. Don't give any offerings. Don't, don't come here to worship. Don't bring your blind and lame animals anymore. I, I, you know what? The whole point of sacrifice, it's of a willing heart. And if you're just going through the motions, it's not doing you any good and it's grieving me. I'm not interested in it. And we see this easy, easy believism. But here he's, he's gone up the mountain. He's there in Beersheba. He sees the stones that Isaac had made, the tree that Abraham had planted. God had spoken this to Abraham and that to Isaac, and they knew what, what God had said. And now here I am. I am not going to leave this promised land because you said stay in it. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't 
give an exception to that if you want me to leave, but is this really what you want? And Lord, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me that I'm not walking by faith. You can bring water out of a rock. You can bring a south wind and bring all the pheasants to feed me. I, I, I don't want to sin by not trusting you. God, I, I dedicate myself. I want to live for you. I live so many years after my flesh. I live so many years trying to work it out in my own strength and, and grieving you and grieving my family and tearing my family apart and hurting everybody. And I, I can't do this anymore. I love that prayer of Jabez where he's like, Lord, I don't want to cause pain. <laughs> my name's Pain, Jabez. I want you to put your hand upon me. I want you to expand me. And, and I only want to cause blessing. And God heard his heart and he honored him. Lord, keep me from pain. Keep me from doing evil. That burnt sacrifice of dedication and then the fellowship offering, the peace offering. This is where you, you'd bring it to the priest and the priest would set it up and the priest would eat some of it, take some of the meat home. You would set, he'd barbecue it for you. And you sat there and eat part of it while you're fellowshipping with the priest to talk about your life and what God's speaking to you and he can speak into your life. And so this is a fellowship. He's just communing, enjoying. This is where, again, when we come, it's so important that we come to fellowship with the Lord through one another as God's words richly dwelling in our heart, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, that it's not an easy believism, that we're washing one another's feet, that we're getting out of our comfortable zone. It's not for me, 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 but it's for the Lord and for others. Become an other-centered person like our Lord Jesus, who made himself the most humble of all servants. And, and, and just coming to go, God, I'm coming to worship you in every way and hugging people and smiling and serving people and singing and hearing the word with a ready heart like the Bereans to check it out and answer it. Lord, is this, what are you saying to me? And um, it's a beautiful thing. I, I love that James 4, 8, where it says, if you'll draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. And so we see Israel has come a long way from being Jacob. And what happened in verse 2? God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, ouch. <laughs> and he said, here I am. You know, he, he's saying, hey, I know you. You know you. You know your tendency. And, and uh, you know, I, I, family reunions are like this, aren't they? You know, I'm, I'm sure Bill Gates goes to his family reunion and they're going, oh, there's a little snotty nose kid. Well, I'm 60 years old. I'm a billionaire. Don't call me that anymore. <laughs> I'm going to go home. It, it is family. I mean, they just have a way to just make you feel the absolute worse about yourself. You know, we don't try to do that. We just we're just looking at each other through. Glasses that are very, very familiar to you. Know you before you were a somebody. And so here it's, it's got to be piercing. Jacob, Jacob. Ah, Lord, I'm broken again. I'm broken before you. Yes, I can so easily be a Jacob. And, and right now as I'm wrestling with this, am I a Jacob right now? Interesting that 40 years before this, 
Jacob was leaving the promised land to go down to the Ur of Chaldees to eventually find his wife. And that's the first time the Lord radically met him. And the Lord told him to go and gave him some promises. And here now God's sort of re-saying these promises. First of all, he says in verse 3, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt. So first of all, he, he said, you know what? It's legitimate. And there's legitimate fear. But then there's illegitimate fear. And so often, I think that we can allow the fears to paralyze us. And uh, I'll just tell you this, point blank. If you make decisions out of fear, you'll make the wrong decision almost all the time. And we have to come back to say, Lord, I don't want to live in fear. I don't want to make decisions in fear. What is your will? My will for you is to go to Egypt. So don't fear taking that step out of Beersheba into Egypt. It is my command. You're not acting in presumption. And then he says, number, uh, the first thing he, he reminds him in the promise is for I will make you a great nation there. Now, God had said that he would make them a great nation, but it always would have been assumed it would be in the promised land, right? And you didn't think when God said to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, look at the stars of the heaven. That's how many kids you're going to make. That's how many kids you're going to have. And by the way, most of them are going to be made in Egypt. What? I don't think anybody could have wrapped their minds around it until now. So if you do the math, Abraham, 25 years, had one son. Isaac, 60 years, had two sons. Jacob, in about 60 years, had 12 sons. 215 years has gone by and there's only going to be 70 people. That's not very good. They have not really prospered very well there. But after 400 years, there'll be almost two to three million people. So they are going to prosper like crazy, but it's going to be in a place of persecution. Interesting as we get into Exodus here. But either way, it's down in Egypt. I'm going to make you a great nation. Remember I told you that you would be a great nation. I'm going to do it, but it's going to be down in Egypt. The second thing he says to him, I'm going to go with you down there to Egypt. And I will also bring you up again. Boy, I can't wait till we get into Exodus when God says to Moses, go ahead and go to the promised land and, and you're going to be blessed. And Moses said, hold on. I didn't catch something. You didn't say this time, I'll go with you back to the promised land. That's right, because I won't. Just go. I'll bless you. My, my presence will be with you, but just go. And Moses is like, uh-uh. I'm not moving out of anywhere, going anywhere, if you are not with us. And they wrestled and wrestled, and God finally gave in. When Moses understood, it's, <laughs> it's God's presence that makes any place not empty and vain. And so I'm going with you in Egypt. I'm going to be down there with you for those 430 years. And then one day, we know through Moses, that you're going to come up and I'm going to bring you with, I'm going to come with you back into this promised land. And it'll be me doing it all with you. And then the last thing he says, Joseph, 
will put his hands on your eyes. You're going to go be with Joseph until the day you die. And he will be there at your deathbed. And he'll be the ones to see your last breath and shut your eyes. And so it's interesting that again, I, it doesn't mention it here, but it had to be on their minds, that prophecy that God gave to Abraham. Remember back in Genesis 15, where Abraham said, oh, I'm not going to have any kids. I guess Elazar, my servant from Nassus, will be the heir of my house. And God said, go outside and look at the stars. That's how many kids you're going to have. And there, one of the most important verses in Genesis, Genesis 15, 6, and Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And he's all happy. And, and then God says, let's make a covenant. And that in those days, you cut animals in half. And then the two of you walked through the middle of the carcasses, which said, I'll keep my half and you keep your half. Abraham kept waiting, waiting. God never showed up. He fell asleep and the buzzard started picking out the food. And Abraham had this horrible nightmare and he woke up from it and he realized God came and went. <laughs> he walked through on his own. In essence, God's saying, I'm going to keep your half and I'm going to keep my half. <laughs> the promise of righteousness is not based upon you. It's all based upon me. Boy, I'm tempted to teach Romans 6 right now. Or excuse me, Romans 4 right now. That it, that would be a guarantee, not upon our works. Just like Adam and Eve, just one wrong piece of fruit. If that's all it took to mess it up, we would eat the one piece of fruit, right? And mess it up. But God says, I'm not going to let you mess it up. All the promise that I'm giving you, Abraham, is upon me and my faithfulness to the end of times. But Abraham had this dream and it was a nightmare and, and he wakes up and, and God tells him plainly, yeah, you're going to have kids as, like I said, the stars of the heavens, but they're also for four generations, 400 years are going to be in a foreign land and be slaves and, and be persecuted there and oppressed there. And by the way, you're going to have a child. <laughs> it's like, oh, great. I'm going to have a kid and they're all going to be slaves and oppressed in a foreign land, not even in the promised land. Gee, I'm just having a wonderful day. In essence, God is saying to Abraham, I am your exceedingly great reward. It's me. It's not in your kids. It's in me. Your kids, you're going to, just like I promised, you're going to have a bunch of them. But then your kids are going to go through incredibly hard times. It's going to grieve you if you were here to see it. So I'm trying to get your eyes on me because that's where the, the great joy and reward is, is going to be. Well, so Jacob in verse 5 arose from Beersheba and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones, their wives, and their carts with Pharaoh had sent to carry them. That's chapter 45. Pharaoh overheard what was going on and sent his own personal chariots with all kinds of livestock and goods. And uh, they took this giant amount of food during a time of famine. I mean, it's just amazing. These carts are going down to pick up Jacob with all this food and all of this wealth in the midst of a famine and, and then carrying them back. It would have been a very humbling thing to experience. But Jacob, by faith, notice what he did. All that he had, 
went with him, including his family. So in essence, Jacob said no backup plan. I'm, there, there's no plan B. Either God does all that God said he's going to do or we're dead. That's faith. And he's walking totally in faith. No, no lifeline. Well, it goes on in verses 8 through or 5 through 27. It breaks up the children by name, which ends up being 70 people in number. So verses 18 through 15 are the kids from the wife Leah. 16 through 18 are the kids through Zilpha. And then uh, the wife from 19 to 22 is the children from the wife Rachel. And then verse 23 to 27 are the children from Billa. And um, I just want to make a note here. If you you read in the book of Acts, Stephen's preaching in chapter 7, and in verse 14 he says, and when they came up, there was 75 in number. Now the, there's a point where the Hebrew is translated into the Greek Septuagint. And in the Greek Septuagint, it has 75. And you say, well, is it 70 or 75? It really depends on how you add it. <laughs> I can come up with 71, 73, 75, uh, or 70. It, it, it's, it's very simple. I don't, I'm not going to explain it here tonight. But when I teach through the book of Acts, I've, I've gone into detail. But also in my past teachings, I've gone into detail on this. But then I, I love the fact here in verse 28 that he... When he, they come to, when Joseph comes there, he sends Judah to come out to meet him. And then he shows Judah where Goshen is and how to get his family settled in there. And Joseph goes back to the palace there in Egypt. And Judah, I love this, we see him being raised up, the tribe of Judah is being raised up in leadership, which eventually would be uh, the kingly tribe. And they lead the children of Israel on and down to the area of Goshen. And in verse 29, and Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. He preserved him to him, himself, he presented himself to him and then he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Reading this to a little girl, she said, the dad asked her, do you know why they wept for a good while? And she says, yes, he fell on his neck. <laughs> They're just weeping. They're both weeping. And then Jacob says this. He says, Israel, excuse me, says to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face because you are still alive. It's all that mattered to him was not the glory of Egypt or... So that's it. Now we'll close in prayer. I hope you got that last point. Um, so it wasn't about the glory of Egypt or anything else. It was just the only great thing about this moment, being down here, alive from the famine, saved, is just seeing your face. 22 years 
he has believed his son to be dead. I can tell you, when your child dies, you think about it every single day. And some days are a lot harder than other days. But there's times in particular that are special moments with those who are alive where you go, I wonder what it would be like if they were here right now. My son, Tracy, who's been passed away three years ago now, I often wondered he'd be 25 this last July. But what would he have been like at 25? Who would he have married? What would he end up looking like? What's some failures? What's some successes? What are some dreams that he had? Did he, would he have made them or not? How would things have steered in what direction? I'll tell you what, you, you sense that loss on a regular basis. And it makes you want to go to heaven. I mean, I, I just, I want to go to heaven. I, I know what <laughs> Jacob is saying here and just saying, you know, I just, that's, I, I, I honestly have been living day by day for the last 22 years hanging in there, waiting to die so I could see your face. And am I dead? <laughs> am I alive? I'm seeing your face. I, I couldn't imagine 22 years <laughs> after my son died. I'm out in the desert somewhere and my son Tracy comes walking up. I'll tell you what, I, I just don't know if my brain could process that. And here he is looking at this guy, 17, the last time he was told he had been killed by a lion or a bear. And here he is now, 22 years later, 40 years old. And now he's a man's man. He's the most powerful guy in Egypt. And, and, and uh, I just don't know, I, I can't even imagine processing that. But to Jacob, it was an incredible, incredible healing moment. And of course, um, being separated from family, the way Joseph was. I'm sure he thought about his dad and how grieved he would be and his brother Benjamin and, and, and all of them getting married and having kids and what would it be like uh, to be an uncle to Benjamin's kids and, and what do they look like and what are they like and Benjamin's so particular in this way and that way. I wonder if his kids are going to have the same taste as he has and the same desires or maybe the athleticism or intelligence but yet he was stuck in this pagan country with all their pagan ways. And he alone in his heart, in a way that he couldn't talk to anybody around him, continued to follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, waiting for God to do what God was going to do. He never lost faith. Joseph knew the day's coming. When my brothers are going to bow down, the sun and the moon are going to bow. I, I don't know what all that means. I just know it hasn't ha happened yet. God prophesied it to my heart. It's coming. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm just hanging in there by faith waiting. Well, now I'm stuck in a prison. God's still going to come through. There's, it doesn't matter how low I go. I, 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 God spoke that he's going to do what he's going to do. I'll tell you what. The just shall live by what? Faith. And I'll just tell you young people right now. 
It pays to follow Jesus. Like Joseph, you may be a teenager <laughs> in a foreign place. And everything in you says to give in to peer pressure and look like those around you. And, and it will pay to follow Jesus. And you'll be in your 20s one day and you'll look back over your teenage years. And the things that will stick out to you will be some very dark, hurtful times that you gave in to your flesh. And you're going to regret it. Or you're going to look back. And uh, Mark Mandela one day is going to figure out that phone. He is, he is 67 years old now, and he still hasn't figured out his phone. But anyway, um, so either way, it pays to follow Jesus. I'm just telling you, you don't want the regrets of not having followed him. And the joy and the strength and the blessings that come from following him are great. And so Joseph is standing there now looking at his dad, hugging him and crying and his brothers. Guys, God did this. I know. Don't, read, don't be angry with yourselves. Don't grieve. God did this. God has brought it. God's done this wonderful thing to keep us all alive. Rejoice with me. Don't be sorrow. And he's just, he's experiencing the busting out blessings of his entire life in obedience to God. And 22 years of that life was hell as a slave and a prisoner in incredible hardship. At this point, it's two years into the famine. So that means he's been out of prison for two years. <laughs> so for 20 years, he was a slave and a prisoner. But here he is now. It's a heart of joy, forgiveness, kindness. His eyes are on the sovereignty of God. God turns all things around for good to those who love him or are called to his purpose. God's, gonna, God's got a plan that's going to blow your mind, and he's doing it, guys. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. God has allowed this to happen to bring salvation to all of us. Let us rejoice. And then he tells them the plan in the last of the chapter that says, I want Pharaoh to not like you guys. <laughs> I just want you to be honest. Don't color it. Just say it plainly. We are shepherds. That's what you are, right, guys? Of course, all your sheep died. There was a famine. But if you had any sheep, you would be shepherds. And the reason I want you to be clear on that and not be Jacob-like is because the Egyptians can't stand shepherds. And I've got this beautiful land. It'll keep you separated and segregated. And God's blessings can maintain as we grow as the nation of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is God's plan. So just, just tell the truth. And, and yes, you won't be liked <laughs> by the Egyptians, but that's perfectly right. That's what needs to happen for your integrity. I mean, just imagine if we had 70 people from Switzerland come and live in Chula Vista. And 400 years from now, do you think we'd have a little Swiss community? <laughs> or would we have a bunch of Spanish-speaking Swiss people <laughs> eating tacos and not even know what Swiss food is? Yeah, it's a miracle that they 
the 70 people turned into two, three million people and kept their national identity. It's a miracle. Well, Lord, we thank you for this night, Lord, as we come to these moments and these times, as we are looking at you through the lens of your servant, Joseph. We are all just pierced to the heart, realizing and understanding what it means to find a way, no matter what man does to us, to see your sovereignty and have love and grace and graciousness and have truly a heart free to, to love and be kind and full of joy, knowing that you are greater than any evil plans that man throws at us. Whether it's our own fault like Jacob in the situation with Laban or whether it's a situation like Joseph, he was just righteous and, and the wicked brothers hated him because he was righteous. Whatever the plan is, Lord, you, you're greater still. And we thank you looking at the dysfunctional families of Abraham, the dysfunctional family of Isaac, the dysfunctional family of Jacob, that you have preordained and planned sovereignty to, look, to work in a mighty way through our messed up lives. We thank you. You're not looking for a perfect people, but you're looking just for yielded people willing to walk by faith in what you say. And here tonight, you just may be at that place where God is speaking to you. He's brought you into a famine. He's brought you to a place where right now he wants to speak to you and just to say, I'm stopping you here. You need to let me speak to you. Start living the life of sacrifices, giving your body as a living, holy sacrifice, worshiping God with the sacrifice of the lips of praise giving your sacrificial tithes and offerings, giving sacrifice of your time, giving sacrifice to go visit the widow and the orphan and, and those in the hospital, those in need. Lord, I just give myself in so many ways to sacrifice to you. And as you're giving your life into those sacrifices, let God speak. Yes, Lord, what is it? I'm so messed up here. I've made so many dumb choices. I. I've created a mess, but Lord, I know you have not just a plan, but a magnificent, abundant plan. Lord, you know those here tonight who need to hear this word more than anything. Strengthen their hearts, strengthen their minds. If that's you, just lift your hand. Even my eyes are closed. I, I just, just lift them to the Lord. Humble yourself. God, you see these hands that are lifted right now. By faith, meet them, Lord. Meet them, Lord. We're lifting up holy hands to your name, Lord. Just let them have the power and the strength of your spirit upon them. And Lord, we ask that you would help them to tune into your channel. And even if they don't, Lord, you would just speak to them through the word, through one another, through prayer, through prophecy, through words of wisdom, Lord. Reach them to hear your heart that they can step out in faith with everything, lacking nothing, no plan B, just 100% walking by faith in your perfect will. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. And share with one another what God's speaking. Lay hands on one another. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Thanks for meeting us tonight in your word. God bless you all.